You're listening to the Ghost of Doctor podcast. I'm your co-host, Kurt Roper, and with me is my co-host, uh, Clint Roper. And today we're going to talk about suburban horror. Suburban horror. Yep. The horror of waking up in your mid-30s and realizing that you have a mortgage and you have crippling debt and you're stuck in the suburbs. Yeah, it's a nightmare some of us will never get to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, suburban horror. So here's what we're going to do. I think we're going to have to define suburban horror. Uh, we're shifting some of the format here. So from now on, we're doing a little things a little bit differently. And we're going to when we talk about certain segments, we're going to name them because you know what? That's brand power. You know, it's like that commercial says brand power. That's brand power, the power of brand. No, no, it's brand power. It's that woman telling you that you can't buy generic brand stuff because it makes the uh, the actual companies cry or something. I don't know. Like if you buy your cereal in a big bag or something and not in a box, somehow you're you're kicking the economy in the teeth, you goddamn commie. That's what I got from those commercials. Yeah, you know, take you maybe you take something different. I don't know. But yeah, so uh, so the first thing we're gonna do is a, a new segment we like to call Terror Taxonomy. And what we're doing is uh, you know those things, those genres? We're going to break those down. We might talk about some subgenres, uh, talk about, you know, mixtures of genres and things. Uh, we're going to define it for you, and then we're going to talk about some films which fall into the category so you'll understand what we're talking about. No, but we're going to offer you some recommendations, and then after that, we're going to, we're going to do what I like to call feature recommendations, where we take a couple of the recommendations and we break them down and talk a little bit about the plot and the, uh, and the cast and what makes those movies particularly good. So, to uh, get us started... Would you like to take the lead on this one? No. Well then, okay. <laughs> All right, so Suburban Horror. Easiest decision I ever made. <laughs> yeah, it's easy when you just say no. Yeah. Well, I didn't know it was an option till now. Let's try it again. Hold on. Anything else? Go ahead. Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I like how you didn't even give me... You didn't even give me a chance to actually ask a question. By the way, before we get started, I'd like to address the fact that there wasn't an episode last week. Uh, we made a plan to move from Saturdays to Thursdays, and that plan was going to be last Thursday. Well, here's the thing. You may have noticed in the entire like um, middle and eastern United States and the southeast United States, there was this um, ice and snowstorm. A minor thing, right? Yeah, how can that affect us up here? Right, it couldn't possibly affect us. Tens of thousands of miles away. Tens of thousands of miles away. In the Carpathians, somewhere along the Rhine... Within the steps of the Balkans, possibly, possibly uh, near Alsace-Lorraine. Yeah, for sure. Just a, a stone's throw from um, some place that Napoleon was once. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, right. But but listen, here's the thing. Uh, you know, we got we ha- we had huge snowdrifts. We had electrical grids breaking down, which isn't that isn't that hard to believe because most of these people live like they're the Amish. Um, I'd love to figure out how it still looks like they have electric lights, but sorry for not having an episode, but there were uh, extenuating circumstances that just made it not possible. They were weather-related. Let's not dwell on any of that. But uh, let's talk about what we came to talk about in our uh, new segment, which is Terror Taxonomy, and the first installment of which is Suburban Horror. 
What is suburban horror? That's what I want to know. Uh, I'll tell you what suburban horror is. Uh, there's, I've got two definitions that kind of work with, work with this. Now, in a very broad sense, you can think of it as where the, um, where the horror itself takes place in the suburbs. And maybe the themes of the, uh, the horror movie uh, or story or whatever are tied to some, you know, the suburbs themselves. They represent something. The very broad definition is it takes place in the suburbs. But guess what? That's not a perfect definition because there are a lot of horror movies that take place in the suburbs that I don't think I would define as uh, suburban horror. They just sort of happen to take place in the suburbs. A good example would be Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, mostly takes place in the suburbs, but I would not call it uh, suburban horror. You know, another example would be uh, Poltergeist. You know, Poltergeist. Is it suburban horror? I, I think it's iffy to call it suburban horror. You, you, there's an argument. You can make an argument, uh, and uh, and we will probably make that argument. But um, I just feel like the whole it was it's on an in, it's development on an Indian burial ground is it's very it's a it's a second thought type plot right thing. right it, it's it's not integral the, to the story. They're right, like figure it out right right. It's, why is it happening? It's happening. We got to know why. We've got to know why. Uh, and you know you don't have to know why, but it's. It's great that we do know why. And, uh, yeah, that's your best argument for considering it suburban horror because it's the the actual cause of all of the uh, haunting, the evil spirits and whatnot, uh, are directly related to something like suburban development. So there's, there's a, you, could, you could make an argument for it, but I don't buy it, and I don't think you buy it either. No, I'm not buying anything. The market, it's all about selling these days. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, you heard it here. Okay, but so listen... Uh, this, that's the broad definition. It kind of takes place in the suburbs, and it would be nice if the themes were some, uh, somewhat suburban-related. Here's what I think a better definition of suburban horror is. This is my personal definition. A suburban horror doesn't just take place in, in the suburbs. The horror itself is a product of the suburbs. It comes from the suburbs. It may be a family in the suburbs. It may be... Um, it may be a, a a theme involved with like living in close quarters or outside the the city um, in a feeling of let's be honest um, manufactured security and trust. Um, but uh, but but the 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 through line of that definition is that the the horror itself springs from the suburban setting. It isn't just a movie take. It's not just a horror film taking place in the suburbs. And so that's my broader definition. Would you agree with that definition? I have no choice but to agree with that definition because I don't have my own definition. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's how definitions work. We like to be told what things mean, and we don't want really to really start go, going around reinventing the wheel and saying, no, that's not the definition. I have my own. Yeah. No one does that. Mm, well, we could, t- we, could make, we could talk about prescriptive and descriptive language, but my guess is that's, this is probably not the audience. All I know is that it's illegal to sell prescriptive language. language. Yeah, yeah, okay. Unless, you, you know. You and your pharmaceutical humor. You know what? It's not funny, Kurt. Look at me. Look at me. You know how many people die of overdoses on, pharma- on over-the-counter medication that's being misused? Do you? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um... Okay, so we've we've got a broad outline, right? This is what suburban horror is. Uh, let's see if we can make some um, sense of it by, or like, kind of define it better by seeing what movies fit into that that category or fit into that definition, and which movies don't. I'm gonna let you start. So the first uh, movie I think that falls into that genre, 
what I'm going to say is is a movie called Neighbors with Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> I didn't expect this. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Wow. Dan, okay, okay. If you're not familiar with the movie Neighbors, it is a bizarre film with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And you do you want to describe – I assume you want to describe it. Do you want to try to describe the plot to I that? don't want to try to describe uh, the plot. Okay, it's based on a book, and the book is batshit crazy. And they made it into a movie, and essentially it's like one of those movies where the two uh, – the two main characters, the two driving forces are John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, they're playing against cast, and both of them opposite of the normal. So, like, John Belushi's playing the meek one, and the the uh, really over-the-top insane one is Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, but what's that got to do with the character, right? <laughs> okay. No, the, the idea – look, it's a strange movie. I don't even know My how to describe it. comes from a crystal skull. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Look, Dan Aykroyd makes strange movies. He makes di- weird decisions, and they uh, apparently they paid off. That movie did not. Um, but Neighbors, it has this really weird feeling, and the weird and the the horror from it is just like this this silent like thing that that you use this feeling and ambience as this the strangest things start to happen to this dude, uh, this this um, normal suburbanite. Yeah, and I think what you're going to see is that's a really good pick, and I'll tell you why, because that is establishing one of the tropes that I'm now defining uh, for this category of horror film, um, which is distrust of your neighbors. Yeah, and here's the thing about suburban horror. The the stuff I'm going to talk about, not only is it a lot of comedy horror, but it's also there's some there's – there's these Cold War impl- uh, implications there too, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense – because the big boom in, in the suburbs was what, when the 1950s is when mm-hmm. we think about the huge, like, uh, the w- the way that the suburbs were framed in the minds of, of Americans. That's in the 1950s. You're right. Um, okay. I like that pick. and it, But it leads me to, it leads me to an, another question. Do you want to, which we can bring, I can, we can discuss in a second if you've got, want to go ahead and continue with your. No, we can discuss it now. Is Fright Night suburban horror? Because you've got it's. It really does stem from the concept of a distrust of your neighbor. Um, I yes, it's more traditional in the sense that the horror is a monster. It's a vampire, but it also does kind of come down to the whole. Um, the is the guy next door a murderer? Is the guy next door um, uh, a spy or insane kind of thing? Just this. The guy next, the the new neighbors can't be trusted, trope, uh, which I know is going to play in heavily to another pick. Um, You're not wrong. I'm, I know I'm not wrong. Yep, but um, so but now answer that honestly. Do you think Fright Night could at least? I mean, more th- more so than like a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, the thing about these these little subgenres and these little mixed genres of horror is that they don't necessarily fit into one box. I think they check more than one box sometimes, and that's because <laughs> uh, that's just how anything works. Um, it's like diagnosing a dis- disease where there are symptoms. Like, this, these are the symptoms of this movie. And let's see, does it check 11 out of these 15 boxes? And if it does, then we can maybe go ahead and have a soft diagnosis. Yeah, I think that works. Okay. Um, we'll di- talk more about Fright Night, I think, at some other point, but it's it's definitely 
I think it's such a good movie, and it it can't be put in one box. And that's just on the that that stems from it being a great movie. You can almost argue that the remake is more of a suburban horror film than the uh, the other one, um, but we won't talk about that. We'll talk about those. We're gonna we're gonna talk about those later. But okay, plowing forward. All right, so here's my second uh, my second pick. Um, it's a soft recommendation, is what I would call it. Uh, as far as like, I think people should watch Neighbors to to, and I think they should watch it at three a.m. Possibly having not slept <laughs> for forty eight hours. Yeah, if, that's the way to see. That's the way to see Neighbors. It's, you need to see Neighbors in a in a in a state uh, of semi wakefulness. So you're not sure if you're dreaming the movie. Yes, yeah. that's how you watch Neighbors. But uh, what I'll say is um, the next pick, soft recommendation, because I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it, it it definitely works as suburban horror. And I don't think – I think a lot of people have slept on the movie or don't remember it necessarily. It's uh, Meet the Applegates. Hmm. Yeah, Meet the Applegates. That's a, <laughs> that's a difficult one to uh, – Okay. I okay. Can't, I can, I, yeah. I can see why you could. Okay. I guess the. Okay. If you don't know what Meet the Applegates is, Meet the Applegates is like about an in, um, uh, a literally invasive species of giant ant mantis type insect from uh, the Amazon, like because of deforestation, obviously, that uh, can change itself to look like humans. Which is beginning to remind me a lot of Mimic. <laughs> hey, we're going to have a Mimic talk at some point later. We're going to have later, to talk but, about Mimic later. And but, we'll probably talk about Meet the Applegates again but, um, during that. But, but, but the, they, so they come into the neighborhood, a suburban neighborhood disguised as the traditional um, nuclear fa- family. Uh, sorry, nuclear family. And, uh, and they're, you know, all of their understanding are fairly old hat of like what, how humans act. They basically have, they, they read a, uh, Dick and Jane book, and everybody's that—that's their name, Dick and Jane, and right, yes, and uh, it's 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 interest. It's an interesting movie. I wouldn't call it a good movie, uh, but you know what's funny about that movie is the um, it's it has some genuinely horrific, terrifying type looking vis- it, it, like visuals and moments. It uh, does, yeah. It has. It's, it's kind of a monster. Moments. It definitely kind of is a monster movie, but it's definitely a comedy. It's not only a monster movie; it's also kind of a body horror movie. But it's also kind of a social commentary because it is. <laughs> it is a social commentary because it's interesting. You said that they're the invasive species when the whole point is, of course, that the humans are the invasive species, yeah, it, and they're fighting a war on the humans. They're fighting. They're, this, they're like the beginning uh, to the war on the humans. Um, and like I guess they're like the first ones to go in and consider it. Yeah. But the funny thing about it is, is it's uh, the that uh, the American way of life begins to corrupt them, and that's my favorite part of that movie. That's more it's Cold not, War. Not a great movie, and definitely a soft recommendation. It's more Cold War type uh, stuff. It's not propaganda. I think it's it's true. The idea that that the communists were ever going to infiltrate uh, the Americans and not become, um, you know completely uh just rendered useless by all, all our um commodities was you're not wrong by the way because i'm just realizing now that um you write both the neighbors both neighbors and uh meet the apple gates do have a like a, a cold war allegory yeah that's what i would say is is it's not necessary for um for suburban horror but i think that the specific uh 
timeline I'm dealing with with the movies I'm I'm recommending, uh, the movies that I'm putting in that category, it definitely it definitely is a, a tell. Okay. Well, do you have what do you have? Do you have more? Uh, last recommendation is going to play into my big feature recommendation this episode. Okay. And that's the Burbs. The cast alone makes it great, but it's also I mean it's Joe Dante. If you like Gremlins, it's not as good as Gremlins. But it has a lot of the same things that make Gremlins great. I would say that it's so Gremlins is a classic, and it just. But I would say what it has, I think it works on a level of like, I think it's I think you can rewatch it and get new things out of it or appreciate it in a different light. Whereas Gremlins, at this point, we've all seen it maybe so many times, and it's a staple. We put it on for Christmas. Um, but you may or may not go into the kitchen and you know make a make a Caesar salad or something. I don't know what you do. Yeah, I don't. You know, maybe 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 you don't do that. But <clears throat> but uh, you know, maybe maybe you you hang some decorative plates. You got in different states of the United you know the United States United States plates, if you will. And uh, you know, I don't know whatever you're into. But uh, but maybe it's not a movie you feel like you have to sit there and watch and pay attention to. Whereas I I I think the Burbs almost compels you to sit there and watch it. Yeah, and a lot of it uh, is Joe Dante's directing and the kind of the star power of the movie. Uh, the plot's really simple. It, another one of those almost rear window type um, vehicles where uh, there's a couple neighbors right. that have noticed that there's a new family that's moved in and they're very quiet and they, they, they only seem to see them when the sun goes down. Well, let's let's wait because that is the first of our feature recommendations. Um, so we're going to talk about that in just a second. Oh yeah, yeah let go me. Ahead. I'll give you my recommendations. Go ahead. Um, or get, and these are. So what I'm doing is I'm going to give you a few films that uh, that help to define this genre a little bit better. And the the last one I'll tell you about will be my feature recommendation. Uh, so the first movie you have to see, in my opinion, it's kind of the. I don't know if it's the classic suburban horror film, but in, it is, in my opinion, it is the one you kind of have to see. The Stepford Wives. Um, if you if you can only watch one, watch watch the original. If you watch if you if you have time to watch both, watch the original and watch the remake because there there are differences. Uh, there would have to be. It's not like you can just remake a classic movie scene for scene with different actors and you know expect someone to pay money for that. That's a dig on Psycho's re- the remake of Psycho. Oh um, yeah, that's right, Vince Vaughn. What a strange casting it's choice. Horribly miscast. It's horribly miscast because he he just had already built up this um a certain um persona that we came to expect and so he doesn't work as the yeah, innocent John Favreau's best friend. Right. John Favreau's best friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was how they uh, they build him for the wedding crashers. So Owen Wilson from Wes Anderson so and so and Vince Vaughn a friend of John Favreau. No, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how it was built. Um, how did we get on the wedding crashers? Look, man, I don't know. How do we get anywhere in life? Yeah, one foot at a time. One foot at a time, and but not in front of one in front of the other. Apparently. So back to the Stepford Wives. I have questions not only about right why it's. I don't. I don't have a question about why it's suburban horror. I, mm-hmm. I think I understand why it's suburban horror. 
Right. I have a question about – it's a very interesting choice because it is definitely probably going to be the oldest movie on the list. Mm, yes, it will be the oldest one on the list. It's – okay, well, first of all, what it is is um, the Stepford Wives represents a um, – and, you know – okay, here's the thing. If You may or may not know the plot. Spoilers. To the Stepford Wives. I'm not going to spoil it, but here's what I will tell you. We try not to spoil things. The entire town of Stepford – is built with one singular sinister purpose in mind. And the way that the film presents it as like as a, as a threat to a woman's like individuality separate as a separate from like as a as just a mother and a and a wife, the way that they they deal with that and the moral implications and even how those moral implications uh affect the men that are essentially doing the the sinister deeds and and this is a lot of tap dancing to not just give away the plot you most of you probably already know about the Stepford Wives or at least you've heard enough about it and that you have an idea of what it is about but um the point is is that it's a it, it is in my opinion it's it's something of a masterpiece um in and it's of course based on on a book which is is uh very very good as well um so you know I'm I'm recommending the step for wives to be like if you were going to start something to kind of help you with the suburban horror idea that's that's where the one I would start with it's one because it's the oldest it's kind of easier to start with the older movies and move forward than to jump around or go back you know you'll find that you get your pacing is a lot more amped up and it's more of a slow boil with some of these older movies so um, and I think that's the case with the step for wives too you really do have two thirds of the movie is building up to the last act and that's you know um okay so the step for wives okay so my second recommendation and my second um my second recommendation to define suburban horror so you remember when i said that the nightmare on elm street series just really wasn't like suburban horror like you might be able to kind of make an argument for it um well, I'm I'm going to say A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, you can consider a suburban horror. And and let me tell you why. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street, it's we all we've all seen documentaries at this point, we know the theory, we understand the the mythos, and at this point it is impossible to separate that movie with the backstory about the movie being made and the and the actor and the uh the intentional um uh, homoerotic undertones uh and how those caused problems for the actor uh, the main the the lead but uh you know that plays into why it kind of works as a suburban horror film and it's because of there's this idea of conformity there's this idea that something you know there's something different about this um this one member like, I mean, come on, it has a whole f- scene where Freddy enters the real world just so he can, like, kill a bunch of people at a block party barbecue. And that's literally a manifestation of, of like, of something different that threatens them. That's, in this case, you know, maybe it's meant to represent, you know, and it's hard to say if it's actually meant to represent something like being, like the idea of being, uh, being a homosexual, but... 
when you talk about suburban uh, neighborhoods, there is this idea that you either do or don't fit into the suburban neighborhood, right? Yeah, that makes sense. There's they, homeowner associations. Homeowner, right. You, you do, you belong here type things. And so uh, little, I guess, devi- deviant uh, behavior or just nonconformist behavior uh, really, really rubs against the suburban idea. I guess, kind of. So I'm going to be a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a hypocrite, because I could, you could, you can make an argument, it's just a weak argument for the entire franchise, or at least the first one, in the sense that the backstory is the, the, the uh, mob of uh, murderous parents that are these, these like suburban stereotypes, the, the, you know, alcoholic mom, the, uh, the, the good sheriff who's, you know, kind of not that good. Not that great of a father. Um, these people putting on a uh, a veneer of uh, normalcy when they really just like they really killed this guy uh, and let loose the the, uh, the the you know the demon of uh, that is Freddy Krueger. So you can make that argument. I think it's a little weak. It's weak. I I think it is weak. And I, but I think the second one has enough going for it to edge its way into the category of suburban horror. And what I like about that argument is. It's odd the people the amount of people that are like they killed Freddy. I can't believe these people ganged up on and 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 had a, held a kangaroo court we assume mm-hmm. and just and just murdered this guy. He was killing children. Yeah. He was actually a monster before he was a monster. Right. He's not a right. sympathetic character. Can I tell you something? I know this isn't the time to talk about it, but there's two points I'd like to make. The first point is that the remake of the Friday, uh, remark of the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street has a lot of flaws, a lot of things wrong with it. But one thing I liked was that they at one point were subverting the expectations of he was innocent, and then they subverted that subversion. I I liked that idea because it kind of it was like, hey, we're doing something different. But no, he's worse because we're making it explicit that he was kind of a pedophile, which is not something they ever made explicit about Freddy Krueger, which we all kind of, I don't think we all assume it, but we are all sitting there like, I mean, come on, you're MTV generation hero, uh, anti-hero slasher, uh, dream murdering, uh, uh, you know, icon that, you know, sold toys to kids and uh, t-shirts uh, well, he's pretty obviously a pedophile. I'm just gonna put that out there. Um, if I can, I I can make peace with that. Like I can, I can, you know, I can understand how it happened because it wasn't explicit. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to mention is that uh, the whole first episode of the um, the a Nightmare on Elm Street TV series, which was like an anthology type series that very rarely dealt with Freddy. But um, that whole was the origin of Freddy, uh, and it shows the the whole the whole process by which they uh, killed Freddy. So there is a I don't know if it's canonical because what the fuck is canon at this point? But go back and if you go back and just watch that episode because there are large swaths of that series that are unwatchable, um, you will get that back. You will get a more detailed backstory for the suburban lynch mob. Uh, origins of Freddy Krueger, um, which I could really sit here and talk myself into being uh, really the first one also being a suburban horror film, but I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work for me. 
But I like the second one. I like the second one in Suburban Horror. Yes. And and note, he's, Kurt is not saying that he dislikes the first movie. Oh, he, I love it. He loves the first movie. He just doesn't think it fits into the category of Suburban Horror. But he's at, you know what he, he is saying? He is, he is saying that he agrees with me that the second one does. And maybe you don't. Uh, but hey, three is a magic number, and I had to get to three. Kurt, Kurt stole a lot of my really good recommendations. I, I wanted to recommend Neighbors too. I thought that was a, a sly little trick I had up my sleeve, and the bastard beat me to it. Okay. Um, all right. So, all right. So the third uh, film I'd like to put into the category and, and also recommend, which is going to be my our second uh, feature recommendation, is The People Under the Stairs by Wes Craven. Probably, in my opinion, his best work. Um, which is probably controversial to say because of how many times he reinvented uh, himself, how many great contributions he had to the horror genre, but uh, but the people under the stairs. Okay, so I think we got a pretty good handle on the uh, suburban horror genre. Now we're going to turn to uh, the first of our feature recommendations. Uh, the first movie is that we're recommending is The Burbs. And Kurt, would you like to tell our listeners the plot of the Burbs? I would. I really would. I love the Burbs. Um, I, it's one of those movies I saw on cable back in I want to say back in the late '90s, and I first saw it on cable TV mm-hmm. um, because that's how you watched movies when you you grew up. Uh, you know, not going to the theater that much. Um, but you know what else? There's this whole great thing about watching movies or being introduced to movies on cable where you grow to love a movie and then you see it on cable over and over again. And then you get to re-experience it as a fuller, um, non-edited, uh, for time, uh, or content or content, uh, film. It's like getting to, uh, it's, it's like getting to watch a movie you love again for the first time. Yeah. And there'll be little differences like the, since it is edited for content, sometimes they'll add little little uh, cut scenes or little, right. little um, alternate scenes, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of fun stuff with, with uh, cable TV movies. I'd probably not so much anymore because it's mostly just edited for time, I'd imagine. Well, and then a lot of places don't even bother. A lot of places don't even bother editing for the time and the content anymore because most of their people aren't really watching – I mean, if you can fit it in a two-hour block and you got the ad space, that's fine. But if you have to run 15 to 30 minutes, it doesn't matter. People aren't really tuning in at a specific time to watch things these days. They're re-watching it um, through some sort of on-demand feature or through streaming, through Hulu or whatever. So, Yeah, and The the Burbs, like I said, I first saw it on TV. And I, I've liked this movie since I was a, a kid. The plot is super simple. It's some neighbors move in. They're outsiders. They're weird. Um, our main character, Ray Peterson, played by Tom Hanks. This is Joe versus Volcano, big, um, the man with one red shoe, Tom Hanks. This isn't castaway Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks. He's not there yet. Yeah, it's weird that that's something we have to do, but I realize now it's like explaining to people, it's like explaining to people that Nicolas Cage made good movies. Uh, before he made just really campy movies and then good mo- some good movies again. But s- explaining to people that Tom Hanks wasn't a dramatic actor for just such a lo- long period of time is, uh, y- y- for some of the people that are a little younger, so, you know, that that is a thing you have to do now. Yeah, uh, so Tom Hanks is on vacation, right? Um, he's got a staycation. He's just staying at home. His wife, played by Carrie Fisher, 
who doesn't have the largest role, but she's there being Carrie Fisher um, as an actress, which is fantastic because she always gives always gives something to the role. She always makes it a better role than it would have been if it wasn't Ca- Carrie Fisher cast. But uh, she's telling him to go to the, go to the cabin. He doesn't want to, but uh, he's he Hillman his his best friend um, Art Art yeah Art Weingartner, played by um, Rick Ducommon. Who who you might remember if you're a kid of the '90s, you might remember as the the limo driver from Blank Check. The limo driver slash best friend of a ten year old boy from Blank Check. Yeah, um, he he plays his best friend, and Hillman, uh, uh, another neighbor, played by Bruce Bruce Dern, who's like the ex military um, trophy wife having like just badass over the top though neighbor. Um, Though both the, all the neighbors are pretty much over the top, except yeah, it's, it's so all of these are characters are um, heightened characters or caricatures, if you will, of of uh, people you might see in your own neighborhood. Um, yeah, and the 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 most normal, I guess, as far as just not being overhyped uh, or over heightened, would be Corey Feldman's character. But we'll get to that. These three um, individuals. They fixate on the neighbors being weird, how they never come out. They start telling themselves there's something going wrong there. And you know what? There is something wrong there. Yeah. And I, I really like this movie because of it. That's the basic plot is that um, – and it's kind of – it has some real like throwback to uh, – a little bit of a throwback to some old monster movie moments in there. And that some of that's just the kind of uh, movie – horror movie that was coming out at the time. Right. Uh, from – that was so influenced by the the – the universal stuff and and all the more campier monster stuff but it really is a a fun movie it's a fun monster movie uh but they're you know they they have a stakeout it's a rear window situation again it's it's not a a complicated plot yeah it's and you know what i love about it is i love the fact that um tom hanks is uh, on his staycation and he's he's so bored out of his mind that his wife thinks he's kind of like inventing these problems or inventing something weird to explore. And I like how the other, uh, the other two, um, uh, like investigators, if you will, um, art, who's kind of a bum. He's kind of like that friend and him and, um, Bruce Stern's character. Uh, what's his name? Mr. Rumsfeld Rumsfeld. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like how both of those guys – like you don't even question why they're not not at work because one's like very clearly retired or – and the other one's very clearly just a bum. <laughs> you don't – so you don't really question why they've got all this time to, to, to you know, to dig into this uh, mystery. Yeah, uh, but it has some really great scenes in it uh, that just put it in like they, – they, they put it – to me, they, they, they raise it above the – the script is okay is what I'll say. The script is okay because the ending is a little soft, but it's it's really just a popcorn type comedy horror, but with some really good set pieces. Yes, and I you know there, there's a what I love um, I love the idea that you don't you aren't they don't give the game away as whether or not the neighbors are bad uh, news at the beginning. There's this whole uh, problem where you're wondering you know is it a making a mountain out of a molehill. Or, and, you know, and this is kind of the thing, uh, goes back to an older Twilight Zone episode, um, this idea of 
were we the monsters? Are we the monsters? Yeah, that's are the, we make. Are we the monsters that we fear? Yeah, and you think that, and, and there's some fun subversion. The the there's not much of a second act twist, but there's a little a little toying of a second act twist there, and I, it it really works great. And Corey Feldman, yeah, who is if if you don't know this, Corey Feldman is is the poster child of horror in the eighties. Yes, and this is him a a little bit older. This is him. But he's still that he's still that charismatic, uh, just lovable horror person. He's a, he's an old familiar friend at this point, right? Absolutely. And also, and, it's and, Joe Dante. Yes, and I, I just also I like the 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 fact that he and um, uh, and some and the other some of the other guys are like somewhat fixated on um, Mrs. Rumsfeld. Yeah, who's a, a very attractive uh, tro- trophy wife of uh, of. Um, Mark Rumsfeld, and that so the actor is Wendy Shaw that plays her, uh, but like she is this very seemingly ditzy, very attractive uh, model type uh, character, and uh, so you have to assume that Mr. Rumsfeld's loaded or something. But but uh, I don't know. Like the thing about that is the co- the the confidence of Bruce Stern's character is just like it's, he doesn't I- seem to like care. Like Corey Feldman's. Obviously, hitting on his wife at the first, and he's like, "That boy's a meathead," is what yeah, he says. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. You're right. I don't know if it's it's not it's not ignorance of the situation. He, you know, he has a wife that's very attractive, and he knows that it doesn't bother him that yeah. much. But it's you know, it's funny though. That's a but. What, the point I was going to make about that is these are people you would see, and these are situations taken to the extreme you would see in a sub- suburban neighborhood, and this is where it ties into being suburban harm because. Uh, guess what? Your neighbors, if you're just stuck, and you know what I can, I could attest to this had I been in my suburbs back in the United States and not in this drafty castle that may or may not be haunted, that may or may not be geographically located anywhere specific, um, I've noticed that, uh, people tend to, uh, I don't know, involve themselves in other people's business and people tend to gossip. I mean, it's it's not it's not over the fences anymore. It's on the Facebook pages, but it's still there. Um, and so that's definitely a thing of like, oh, you see those people, the new neighbors. That's weird. The weird activity. What's going on there? I don't know. And then they they they, they start inventing this mythos about these people that they've never met, and it's uh, that's a real thing. And that's a that's what I think makes it fit so nicely into the to the. Um, the uh, suburban horror uh, genre. Now, Kurt, I would say there are people that aren't going to agree that this is horror. Well, that's fair, and I'm ready to defend that. I'll tell you why. If you think Gremlins is horror, it's going to be a it's a it's there's no hard line really. Uh, tonally, I would say this movie is equal parts horror. It's it's tremors. It's it's horror, and it's and it's comedy. I'm having deja vu. Did we have a conversation about this? Uh... In an earlier episode. We're going to have a lot of conversations about this constantly, I feel, because just I feel like there's no straight answer to this is definitely 100% horror. Right. And I'm not sure how many well, movies fit into 100% have, horror. What I think you have in the case of The Burbs is you. It, it's one of those cases where if you give an inch, uh, if you give an inch, I can take a mile within the, converse, within the argument. If you agree that it's a dark comedy with some horror elements, it's a horror comedy. And uh, so, yeah, it's a horror comedy, and I couldn't even call it a dark comedy because dark comedies are so edgy. And this is not. This is well lit. 
It's it's got a levity. Well, yeah, but the the lighting in this case, in just like in the Gremlins, is to highlight. In the Gremlins, it's to highlight the Norman Rock uh, Rockwell type um, uh, aesthetic. Aesthetic, right? And 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 like the town being. And this is kind of just to highlight the the uh, the the. Well, I say the the colors of the suburbs, the uh, the the light, the lighting of the suburbs, the. The overall feel of non-threatening. Yeah, and juxtapose it with this this one lot in the suburbs where the grass is dying and the trees <laughs> yeah. look like they came straight out of a universal uh, yeah. cemetery. It's like, you know what? A, a lot of this movie is going to feel like the monsters moved in, but you, you don't ever get to see them. And you're just, you're just dealing with what the neighbors had to deal with yeah. in the same neighborhood with the monsters. Tom Hanks steps across the threshold of his, because he's direct neighbors with them, the threshold of his of his yard and their yard. And as soon as he it's steps on the property, mo- it's a, yeah, different well, movie. a huge gust of wind will come and it starts howling <laughs> and things are crazy. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I, you know, here's the thing. You got a soft recommendation with, um, with Meet the Applegates, a very soft recommendation and a, a not hesitant, but a, an, uh, a recommendation with neighbors, but I would say I personally, and I'm sure you agree because this is on the feature recommendation. Um, I I I can't recommend the Burbs enough. I like I, yeah. if you haven't seen the Burbs, you're doing yourself a disservice. One, you're doing yourself a disservice because you don't get a lot. There's not a lot of times when you get to see Tom Hanks in something with horror elements. Um, two before he was a dramatic actor, so there isn't any. Yeah, it's not happening anymore. Not unless, not unless there's a, some real horrific God, things that happen to a real life person. You know, the best thing he could do at this point to throw us all off would be to make a comedy again, like no. a straight comedy. Because even movies like The Terminal, which have lots of comedy in them, aren't comedies. They're dramas with some comedy elements. Yep, so. The Terminal, based off of a real event with a man that was just turned out was actually just mentally ill. Mm. And actually was just a pathological liar. Could have left, could have left at any time. But it's the romance. Yeah, it's the romance. The romance of the scenario. The scenario, if you will. The scenario. And <laughs> the suburbs. And the suburbs. Uh, All right, uh, so that's my feature recommendation. Um, well, brava, that was good, man. What are we going to talk about next, though? Uh, my, fe- my feature recommendation. Uh, my feature recommendation. Keep saying recommendation. Recommendation. Really recommended. Yeah. I recommend it. <laughs> My feature recommendation is uh, the People Under the Stairs, a Wes Craven film, uh, which stars uh, quite a. It, it doesn't star that many people that uh, that uh, a lot of people would be familiar with in, uh, today, um, except for Ving Rhames, I think, but. Um, but listen, this is a suburban horror film of like the highest caliber because it deals with some social um, ec- and economical uh, issues. It deals with racial issues. It's This is why I kind of consider it to be uh, Wes Craven's masterpiece because Wes Craven, Wes Craven, I don't know if it was intentional, Wes Cra- Craven wrote, uh, wrote and directed uh, an amazing black horror film. And... Uh, the suburbs and um, the uh, the, uh, the the black experience in America, eh, they're not. They don't. They don't tend to converge as often. Um, and there's some conversations you could have about that historically. Uh, but so what I would say, the plot of um, the people under the stairs is a young boy 
uh, finds out that his, uh, his family is going to be evicted. And he's given the opportunity uh, by a friend of his, his, uh, his sister and uh, a thief, played by Ving Rhames, named Leroy. This boy is given the opportunity to go rob his uh, landlord. To go rob his landlord. And so uh, it's that's start that's the jumping off point. He's they're gonna go rob his landlord. He's gonna pose as a as an innocent uh uh boy scout, and that's how they're gonna get into the house. Uh but listen, they find out that uh, the you know the rich really do live differently. <laughs> they really do eat the poor, and you know, they, they also find uh probably like it's uh, it's pretty much all of the the har- the most horrific things you could kind of consider uh that could happen uh where you've got this family of of child abusing kidnapping uh racist cannibal uh cannibals these two uh these two characters which I looked up and couldn't find names for the movie's one of those movies that's so good that you don't realize it didn't name two of its characters layer cake only managed to get away with that with one character this one managed to get away with it with two characters, which is uh, the the woman and the man, the mother and the father, uh, played by uh, 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 Everett uh, McGill, who you might know from Silver Bullet as uh, Reverend Werewolf, and uh, uh, Wendy uh, Robbie. And I don't know what Wendy Robbie else she's done, but she looks so familiar. I, I know I've seen her in other things. I know I've seen her in other similarly toned things, but she does such a good job. They do such a good job of playing these creepy, eccentric, racist monsters. Fool, the young boy, breaks in to, to help, uh, tries to help Leroy and his accomplice break in to rob them, but they find out pretty quick that they can't escape the House of Horrors themselves. And it doesn't end very well for uh, Fool's Two Accomplices. Uh, but in the meantime, they manage to meet the eponymous people under the stairs. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but they're, they're, they're ghoulish they're, is they're what go- I was- They're basically ghouls. Yeah, they're basically ghouls. I mean, they've been starved of sunlight, set in a basement, and fed on human uh, meat. It's pretty... F- I, I need to... I need to emphasize how ter- terrifying all this would be if the tone wasn't so handled with such a light touch. There's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of uh, weird, interesting moments and in, uh, uh, little character quirks in, in the monsters that don't make them likable, but make them uh, almost almost so over the top that they're very clearly uh, almost like cartoonishly evil. But then the things they're doing are truly evil and terrifying. I need to put point that out. But it's another movie that's mostly well lit until you get to the darker places in the house. Uh, I, I will say I don't want to give too much of the plot away. I want to recommend it. But the woman and the man uh, do have a daughter that um, they don't treat very well. Uh, and Fool has to make the decision whether he can try. He's, he needs to try to escape the house but he also needs to try to take her with him. And so you get a lot of uh, uh, obstacles in his way. Uh, but like one of the real standouts is the character of Roach. And he's he's one of the things from under the stairs that has escaped into the walls to the, to, to the chagrin of, uh, of uh, Everett McGill's character. But anyway, so how do you feel about people under the stairs? 
I really like People Under the Stairs. The People Under the Stairs is like, again, it's another one of those movies I watched on cable first. So until I watched it, and it was rented later, we I think we rented it much later. Um, because, you know, you don't always get to watch these things when they come out. But we rented the video uh, later, and uh, it really is just way different when it's not on TV in a great way. Uh, I think it's a great pick. I think you're right. Fool's a really interesting protagonist. Rarely in a horror movie do you get a child protagonist to begin with, Mm -hmm. but one that's actually smart and isn't just like – isn't just having the story move them around. You know, they they basically instigate and and – create the plot themselves with their decisions. He's a, he's a really, um, he's, he has agency, which is fantastic as a kid, but also he's just a really intelligent, which you don't see again, he, without the tropes of he has a computer and glasses and he gets beat up a lot. He's the intelligent one, you know, only Wes Craven could have such like, he, his touch is so subtle with, with the high brownness of his yeah. movies. Like he's never feels like he's, he's, he's sitting on a pedestal, preaching a bunch of stuff and he never seems like he's he's dumbing it down for the audience he takes like he walks in between those two things in my opinion he's just well yeah what's wonderful here is he's made a movie that is a legitimately fantastic horror film that plays with some of the like zombie ghoul elements cannibalism which he's handled in the past really well um and then the type of tension that happens of being locked in a house you can't escape uh but but he's also has he also has these really really clever um social messages attached to this film that you could easily miss um so like the main character fool uh he's doing his best to try to save his uh family from eviction he's got a sick mom and uh, he he needs to do what he can to save save them from being evicted by the the antagonists, this man and this woman, who are his landlords, but they're landlords for all these tenant buildings. So they're kind of instrumental in ruining a lot of these people's lives. But it gets worse than that because they also they also happen to be cannibals. They see black people, but poor people in general, as not even basically being human. They're super greedy. They're the worst they're the worst of what the suburbs kind of represent, which in its purest form is an attempt to escape the city and also for a long time historically to shut out uh, black owners of property in, within their neighborhoods, to push them out or keep them out of the neighborhood. Something that, you know, you can look at geographical studies, social ge- geographical studies from long periods of time which show um, urban it happening within um, like the cities within urban planning and stuff like that but it's definitely uh, one of the big things about the suburbs was for a long time it was an escape from the city and it was mostly an escape from the city for white people and so that's all there in under this film which works on a very works on a surface level as well um, and I don't know if that was intentional but I think intentional or not, you know, when I when we talk about great because we're kind of having this great renaissance of um, black horror films. And a lot of times we assume that a black horror film kind of needs to be told from the voice or perspective of a black auteur. 
So it needs to be like your well, your Jordan Peele, right? So you have this this kind of renaissance of uh, of black horror. I don't know if it's just a golden age of black horror, but if you look back, there's this nice little early 90s gem that works as a black horror film. It has the social commentary about racism, economic inequality, class inequality, uh, the difference between the urban environment, the suburban environment, and what we keep hidden behind doors that is truly horrific in the suburbs, which is why it's a great suburban horror film. The fact that this house of horrors sits on a street, which is considered to be secure, is considered to be safe, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I could talk. I could. I could probably gush about this movie for like ever. I can't recommend it. I really can't recommend it enough because I really do. The more I think about it these days, I do think of it as being Wes Craven's masterpiece. And I'm not saying it's underappreciated because a lot of people know about it. A lot of people appreciate it. But I will say that it's probably it's not the it's not the first, second, or maybe even third movie that people think of when they think of Wes Craven. And that is not that's not really fair to the movie. It's Yeah, because I think of Shocker first every time. Yeah, know? I know. It's Shocker and Serpent and the Rainbow. Those two, right. Those two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got a little heavy, but listen. Uh final thoughts on People Under the Stairs. I like it. A lot. The depth of that analysis is astounding. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I don't want to go on and on and on and on. Bring up <laughs> social uh, economics and social psychology studies, and I didn't want to do that. Well, you know, I, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, listen. Uh, uh, from from uh, from the castle. Here's us saying we're back on hopefully a, a regular schedule. Uh, go explore the wonderful genre of uh, suburban horror, the subgenre, if you will, and uh, take a look at some of our recommendations. And you absolutely have to watch The Burbs and The People Under the Stairs. Yeah, and, and for that fact, go go and explore just suburbia. Maybe park on the side of the street. Get you some binoculars. Maybe just in a van. Maybe a panel van with tinted windows. Just sit there for a while and watch people. See what happens. Maybe wear a trench coat and a hat. I feel like they're expecting you to wear that. Yeah, just a trench coat and a hat. Don't have to wear anything under the trench coat. That's important. <laughs>